Welcome to the latest episode of the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast, where we count down the 75 greatest Marvel stories as chosen by Marvel listeners. I'm your regular host, Blaine Dowler, and joining me this week is one of the comic book podcasters that I've been listening to for quite some time. He co-hosts a show with Andrew Leyland, and the two of them, it was the first sort of comic book read-along format podcast that I became a regular subscriber to. So, please welcome Stephen Lacey. Hello there. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, thanks for agreeing to come on board. Yeah, I think um, it, it was our sort of Facebook chats with some of the earliest ones around this uh, this show, so it, it's really nice to see that grow and develop and become the actual show. Yeah, it's I've been very impressed with the response I got. I threw out the idea kind of as a joke, and within 48 hours I had enough volunteers lined up to cover 70 out of 75 podcasts. <laughs> so, No one's volunteered for the Clone Saga yet, then. <laughs> oh, no, we've got the clone song. Oh, really? But here we are, episode 74. So it's the second in the countdown, You're looking at story number 74 from the Marvel Original Countdown. This is Next Wave Agents of Hate, issues 1 through 12. So these issues were published with cover dates ranging from March 2006 to March 2007, release dates ranging from January 25th, 2006 to January 31st, 2007, written by Warren Ellis, penciled by Stuart Immonen, Inked by Wade Von Grabedger. Colors were predominantly by Dave McKaig, but Paul Mounts pitched in for one issue as, you know, code colorist on that issue. Dave McKaig was still involved. Letters were predominantly Joe Caramagna, but Chris Eliopoulos pitched in as well. Edited by Nick Lowe with assistant edits by Sean Ryan. Consulting edits by Mike Martz for seven or eight of the 12 issues and editor-in-chief Joe Casada through this period. So it's Definitely a lineup of creators that you've heard of if you pay any attention to reading the credits on these things. I was about to say, do you want me to, because I, I wrote some stuff about this, do you want me to lead with that? Yeah, I was just going to say, let's you know do the promo spot for whatever show you want. I'm guessing Fantasticast rather than 20-minute long box. Well, as the 20-minute long box is completely impossible to get hold of now. Uh, I, I'd suggest the Fantasticast. And by the way, uh, just because I know it was mentioned at the start, yes, I'm, I'm the host of the Fantasticast. Just want to get that out. You're about to hear the trailer. We're coming to the end of the Lee Kirby Fantastic Forum, getting ready to go into the Bronze Age. So, uh, if you now's a really good time to jump on board and pick your favorites from the sixties. Yeah, that's if you read the Fantastic Four, it shouldn't be hard to pick favorites from the sixties. There's a lot of great stuff, and then there's the stuff that actually gets referenced in issue eleven of this series. I'm gonna say yes as I frantically flick through and go, "Damn, which, which specific reference was that?" Oh, that's issue ten. Mark Miller no, is eleven. Yes, Mark Miller blows uh, licks goats. Yeah. All right, so here's a promo for the Fantasticast. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now. Mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream, they're but palms in their hands. 
I'm Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the puppet master's next victim. You earthlings can't change the way I can. At least I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you. For I am the thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the fantastic four are no more and the planet Earth is no more. You are in the presence of the awesome Ralatans, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak, blind or hawk. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. And it shall sustain him to the complete drain of all elemental life. So, speak Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witness the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. FFcast.libsyn.com Now we're back. One of the things we like to talk about with all of these stories is how we were first introduced to this Marvel story, why we read it, what we felt about it. In my case, it's a pretty short story. It was available on Marvel Digital Unlimited, and I read it earlier this week for the sake of recording this podcast. So how about you, Stephen? Were you a recent joiner on this, or were you there back in 2006? I think I was there just after the fact. I am fairly sure. I'm pretty sure I didn't buy it as it was coming out on the shelves. I have in front of me the first trade and then the other six issues, and I think I bought the first trade, read it, thought, this is amazing. I want to get the second trade. Found out it wasn't available, so I just dove straight into the back issue bins and grabbed them all from there. So I, I, I reckon I was on board within about six months of the series finishing. I do remember buying... Um, Marvel used to do magazines, which were sort of a combination of previews and had behind-the-scenes stuff. Now, for the life of me, I can't remember what it's called, but I remember reading the one which featured Warren Ellis being interviewed about this series before it got going. I was reading it and going, well, oh, that doesn't sound like my kind of thing at all. So I, 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 I do like that my point of view has changed completely at 180 degrees on this series as time has gone on. Yeah, I can see that because this is one, this came out when I was reading every single entry in the, the previews catalog. Yeah. And Marvel Digital Unlimited is one of the places this can be read and it accurately reflects the original solicitations text. And that text didn't appeal to me. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that text was written by Warren Ellis. I think a few of them were. Going through it, I think probably the the text for issues three and up were written by Warren Ellis. The text for the first two is a very different style. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me if Warren Ellis looked at the, the pre-sale numbers, looked at that tech, that solicitations text and said, no, 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 let me do it from now on. <laughs> and was hoping that he could get more people in on board. But yeah, I think if people properly understood the structure, it would have had more people jumping on board with issue three. Because yeah, 2006, issue three was usually not a good jumping on point for a new series. No. um Oh, except it would have been for this, which I'll get to in a moment. Yeah, any odd-numbered issue is a good jumping-on point for this series. <laughs> yeah, I prepared a little bit of stuff for this, so I'm, I'm just going to hit that. Um, as Blaine said, this series debuted in March 2006 and ran for 12 issues, and for my money, Next Wave Agents of Hate is one of the funniest, most enjoyable, and most ridiculous series ever published by Marvel. According to writer Warren Ellis, Next Wave is an absolute distillation of the superhero genre. No plot lines, characters, emotions, nothing whatsoever. It's people posing in the street for no good reason. It is people getting kicked and then exploding. It is a pure comic book, and I will fight anyone who says otherwise. And afterwards, they will explode. That, that's a, that's a full-on Warren Ellis quote. Previously, uh, this team was a super team employed by Hate, which stands for Highest Anti-Terrorism Effort. 
I'm sure Warren Ellison got anything to say about Stanley and his acronyms at all. But basically, they then went on the run when they found out that hate was actually owned by the Beyond Corporation, who were formerly known as Silent, a terrorist organisation. Um, they've stolen the master plan document, and the team then spends 12 issues alternatively evading the attempts of hate director Dirk Anger and trying to bring down Silent. The series was split into six two-issue storylines, a decision by Ellis to keep the pace rapid. In fact, quoting from the original pitch document, which was published in the back of the first trade, yes, two-issue story arcs, every two months a complete story, and then on to the next strike on the list, or the next trap hate set for them. One story arc makes a European book, three makes a trade paperback, six makes an absolute style book. And that's how he viewed it. Um, although never stated by a list, I also see this decision to do everything as two-issue story arcs as a response to the rise of decompressed and written for the trade comics. Um, although the trend for decompression had been on the rise since the late 1990s, it was Ellis's own authority comics for Wildstorm that became the first truly successful example of the medium. Many more followed in the early 2000s, notably at Marvel Comics, where an editorial edict passed down by Bill Jemis forced writers to tailor their stories to six issues, making the collection in trade paperback an easy thing to do. By keeping Next Wave to two-issue story arcs, it's arguable that more happened in each six-issue trade than in, say, the entirety of Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men, or indeed, as in Ellis's recent at the time, Ultimate Nightmare miniseries, which was the first chapter in Ultimate Galactus and which featured four and a half issues of Ultimates and Ultimate X-Men wandering around a deserted Russian military base before doing some plot points at the end. Um, a plot summary of Next Wave, however, does seem rather pointless. Um, the team go up against various enemies, including a terminally horny Fing Fang Foom. I said that. Hordes of minions grown from broccoli. The mindless ones... Forbushman and Devil Dinosaur, who was originally revealed as the driving force behind Silent. Along the way, the series regularly sent up the Marvel Universe with biting humour. One of my favourite moments was the flashback revealing why Machine Man stopped travelling with the Celestials, which gloriously took the piss out of uh, the famous Even an Android Can Cry moment. Um, the series wasn't immune to gimmicks. Uh, their Civil War cover featured the team holding up signs begging for love from the audience and alleging that Mark Miller licks goats. A variant issue was printed in black and white on newsprint and invited the readers to colour the issue in crayon for a contest. Issue 11 contained six double-page spreads intended to be laid side by side, suggesting that the reader needed to buy six copies to achieve this. Even the caption reads, Next wave, blatantly wasting your money since 2006. Um, the series eventually came to an end in 2007. The original plan was for Ellis to move on and for other writers to take over, with Immanen continuing as artist, but sales were just not high enough to justify his page rate so the series was brought to a close. Hints have been dropped over the years regarding a return, but it seems unlikely. Since the cancellation, however, the series has become one of Marvel's high-selling trades, and I suggest that most readers who voted for this series have encountered it in trade paperback. Um, in the grand scheme of Warren Ellis, if you take a look at all of his major works, I personally feel that this ranks with Transmetropolitan as his greatest work. Transmetropolitan is full of his futurism and transhumanism, themes which have permeated much of his work, but Next Wave seems like a slice of unrestrained Ellis Madness, a small slither of his brain printed up in four colours and shipped to us monthly. His humour run rampant in a work-for-hire context. It's great stuff, and if you've not read it yet, you absolutely need to. I'd say actually stop, read stop reading, stop listening to this podcast, go and read 12 issues of this, and when you've recovered from the hernia you've got from laughing, you can carry on with this show. I would agree. One of the podcasts I've listened to regularly, the first comic book one, I started listening to is not one of the read-alongs, it's John Centris's Word Balloon, which mm -hmm. is in an interview or conversation format show. And I distinctly remember a conversation he had with Mark Wade, where Mark Wade said that fun is the F word to marketing people. They hate it when you brand a comic as fun, 
because then retailers assume it's targeted at a younger audience and they do not promote it to the appropriate customers or order it in appropriate numbers. So they're trying to keep that word out of the marketing press, which is unfortunate because it is probably the single most accurate description of this series. If you're going to do it in one word, that word is fun. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he rips through. He has a lot of fun with cliches across the board. In one of the, the standout moments to me for one of the funniest lines is, you know, characters in trouble, a character who flies, reaches down, grabs her by the arm, flies her out of there. And the person being carried goes, you know, my arm bloody hurts when you do this. <laughs> you know, just when she's dangling with her full weight hanging off her shoulder. Yeah, that's going to be painful. And they point it out, but we see it everywhere. There's a lot of little riffs like that with all the cliches. I mean, there are times when this comic just seems to be written not as a comic, not as a, a story. It just seems to be written as a list of memes you'd see on Tumblr, uh, frankly, years before Tumblr ever took off. I'm just looking at the page where you introduced Fing Fang Foom for the first time. It just goes, Fing Fang Foom! Mummy was a slut lizard that did the bad thing with suggestively shaped piles of nuclear waste, and nine months later, Fing Fang Foom has been burning with the need to mate since 1956. Fing Fang Foom has absolutely no genitals whatsoever. Fing Fang Foom! Oh, you can't imagine how annoyed he is. That isn't writing you would see in a comic, apart from this one on that one page. Yeah, and that's, I think, one of the things that gave him a little bit of freedom. You've got Warren Ellis, you've got Stuart Immonen, and towards the end, you've got sales numbers that are basically because people are coming in for Warren Ellis and and Stuart Immonen, which to me often leads to a lot of creative freedom. Mm -hmm. Editors are backing off the book because it's not, you know, it's not the amazing Spider-Man that needs to line up with the rest of the series. It's not just very well written. It's very well written with a set of characters that weren't really being used. A lot of them are seeing and D-list characters. So he's yes. got a lot of flexibility for what he can do with them. And in fact, I kind of, I, I was skipping over a bit because I didn't want to repeat something you'd said, but I did skip over the cast, which is the Monica Rambo Captain Marvel, Machine Man, Aaron Stack, who's last seen as a part of the Earth-X uh, universe, Elsa Bloodstone, who's the daughter of Ulysses Bloodstone, Boom Boom from X-Force, someone I don't think anyone was interested in using, and uh, the Captain, who is an original character, but is intended to be pretty much every one-off Captain whatever character in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, to the point that he actually starts listing them, and you can't believe how many Captains are out there. Uh, some of those listings are great. When he suggests Captain, and then you just get all the uh, symbols to reveal that he said something very, very naughty. And he said, and then Captain America beat me up and washed my mouth out with soap and water. And he's going through a bit where he said, well, I tried to be Captain Ron, and that didn't work, so I tried to be Captain Elron, that... And then Tom Cruise beat me up. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. just, it's merciless and it's brilliant. It is. This is, I mean, this is something that usually comes up later. We usually get to why we think it landed at this point in the tournament, whether or not we feel it belongs in the tournament. I think the fact that it's number 74 on the list, that close to the bottom, is because the sales were generally low and not many voters were exposed to it. Running down the list to 75, I would say this is easily better than quite a large number of the stories that ranked above it. The only reason I would say a lot of them are, are on that list is because of historical significance. Right? Mm-hmm. We've got some mediocre issues that introduced a major character for the first time. But if we're to take those 75 stories and rank them by how enjoyable they were, this would shoot way up. What I find really interesting about Warren Ellis, especially when you look at his work for higher stuff for Marvel, is how much everyone talks about how much they love it at the time and how irrelevant it all seems as soon as he's gone. Uh, one of his, you know, you can't buy his Excalibur stuff. The kind, of, the kind of things that really made his name in the American comics market. You can't buy any of his stuff collected from the, uh, when he took over books like X-Force 
in the early 2000s to sort of give them a creative jump but with other people actually writing it you can't it's very difficult to go and find his various ultimate miniseries other than thunderbolts which is probably the only thing he's written that's had a real effect on the marvel universe because it, it completely reinvented the thunderbolts from ground up he kind of works in these little back alleys of the marvel universe doing stuff that if you read it you probably think is great but unfortunately most people aren't reading it until it's too late and you then you get something like next wave where yeah it didn't sell well at the time but now as i said it's one of their highest selling trades they've been able to keep it relatively well reprinted in that's um two volumes in one edition so you can buy the whole lot for i think something like 15 dollars if you go to the right place and there's a life to it because it's not tied up in continuity because it's actively taking apart continuity around it that a lot of his other stuff just doesn't have yeah i think the biggest influences has probably had on continuity is that when he was finished brian reed was such a big fan that he brought Machine Man over to his Miss Marvel series and wrote him the way Warren Ellis wrote him. Yeah, I think Machine Man turned up in uh, one of the Marvel Zombie series as well. I want to say it was four. It was one with Howard the Duck, I think. Okay, that's... I'll take your word for that. I will actually get around to reading Marvel Zombies when I hit that point in the, in the tournament. So far, the Marvel Zombie story I've read is their introduction in Mark Miller's Ultimate Fantastic Four. Yeah, the, the first couple of series are great. The rest sort of go to some strange places, but... In terms of continuity, though, there have been lots of arguments along the way to suggest that this doesn't happen in continuity. I think Warren Ellis at one point said, oh, well, this might as well just be in its own little bubbly universe. Other people have said, yeah, Next Wave, was that was its own thing. But you get references in like Marvel handbooks where they might mention that Captain Marvel was acting really out of character for a few months <laughs> and things like that. And it does make me sad when I see Boom Boom turn up in stuff and she's not this completely shallow, self-obsessed um, almost psychotic shoplifter who occasionally blows things up. Ellis wrote her actually a lot more in line with the way she was when she was initially, originally introduced back in early issues of X Factor in mm. the 1980s. She was a very young teen, very much a valley girl. She had a, a bit of a crime ethic to her. Uh, he wrote her hornier than she was then, but other than that, it really <laughs> is the same character. I think he writes everyone hornier than they were then. <laughs> But also, I think he, uh, Boom Boom might have been a character that he'd written before because of his experience with the X-Books and with working with X-Force. I, I don't know enough about it to say, but if I had to choose one of these to say, oh yeah, Alyssa's done stuff with them before, it would be Boom Boom. Yeah, I think that's the lasting one. Monica Rambo. I know that she's a fairly prominent part of the Mighty Avengers right now. Yep. Uh, well, Mighty Avengers is dead right now, unfortunately. Uh, it was cancelled a couple of months ago. Sort of. There, there's... I believe there's still one issue left to be published. I'm no, launching. That... Uh, Al Ewing is writing Captain Marvel and the Mighty Avengers. Uh, he's writing Captain America and the oh, Mighty yes, Avengers. Right. Correct. Yeah, Captain America and the Mighty Avengers. So it's the the cancellation of one and the introduction of the other makes it look more like a, a soft reboot than a full cancellation. It's more here's a new number one. Can we get more eyes on it because it's well reviewed? The last Mighty Avengers came out last week in September. Um, so there's about sort of three or four months between them. But yeah, so she's been using that, but not much since. And really, it's kind of her history thing with the Avengers leading it, as she mentions time and time again. Yeah, which is a nice thing that they play off of with oh, yeah. a bit of a twist. I mean, the other characters will constantly complain about how often she mentions that she leads the Avengers or she used to lead the Avengers. And then when she gets knocked out, they're going, OK, now what? They, <laughs> they really have as much as they, they, they like to bug her for mentioning the Avengers. They really do look to her as the experienced and capable leader in the group. Mm. And just in that one moment when she gets taken out by a manhole cover. Because why not? 
Yeah, then they're just going, uh, okay, what do we do now? Any ideas? I- I'm out. You? I mean, this, uh, this whole book is just absolutely wonderful. Um, there are so many great little moments. I'm just flicking through issue six for one of my favorites. They've gone to basically an oversized vegetable patch where they grow the uh, foot soldiers who are grown from broccoli, which handily means that they can go and attack them all uh, and kill them in all sorts of nasty ways. And it's okay because they're not living. And uh, basically, Dirk Anger turns up before them and starts assaulting with the entire armory's worth of stuff, including at one point, you just get these two guys kicking a couple of crates out the back of the... Oh, where is it? Yeah, they're kicking crates out the back of the carrier, just going, you know, throwing little koala bears out of an airplane just doesn't seem right. And the other one's actually crying over it. And as they come down, you just see they've got loads and loads of sharp teeth. And Boom Boom goes, Whittle cuddly bears of death! Death bears! And it, it, if Tumblr was around in 2006 and had the kind of audience following and the way that memes grow on there, <laughs> this book would be legendary. As it is, it's, it's still a kind of cult thing, but if you've read it, you're in. Oh, yeah, and coming from Warren Ellis, to me, as soon as I read that page, I was thinking about the holy hand grenade. Yep. Because <laughs> it's very much what Monty Python did with rabbits, only with koala bears. And lots more of them. Yeah. Lots more of them. Yeah, there's a lot more than one. He is having a lot of fun with it. I swear the broccoli people were there. It's the normal robot exception where your heroes can just tear robots apart because they the leftovers of the Comics Code Authority. Only it's hard to do that robot exception when one of your members is a robot. Yeah. Silence, fleshy ones. Yes, and I, I do appreciate that Machine Man is constantly calling everyone else the fleshy ones. So that This is probably my favorite incarnation of Machine Man, and it's I was crediting that to Brian Reed and Miss Marvel, but this was published first, or at least before those particular issues of Miss Marvel. Yeah, that all of that came from Next Wave. Yeah, and it is it is very enjoyable. Um, just before we get into uh, the next bit of this, I'd, I'd just like to brag. Um, I'd, I've actually met Warren. I've actually met Warren Ellis once. He did an unannounced signing at a, one of the MCM Comic Cons a few years ago. And I, uh, Rich Johnson actually from, Rich Johnson from Bleeding Call tipped me off the day before when I was saying hello to him. He said, Oh, you got your Warren Ellis comics for tomorrow. No, why? Well, he's doing a signing. So I drug these down along with, uh, the Ultimate Fantastic Four stuff that he'd done that I absolutely adored. And yeah, so I, I'm very pleased to say that all of mine are signed and I love them. They are well read. I've got bent covers on the graphic novel. I've got, one of the covers that Staples don't hold it on because I've read it so many times and I don't care because comics are to be read and I will never ever bag the buggers. Yeah, I bag mine, but I buy them to read them. I'm that's why I'm not picky about format. I don't care if it's trades or the original issues or digital. Mm. Right. I agree that comics should be read. I just kind of like to to treat them in a way that means I can reread and reread and reread them without worrying about them falling apart in my hands. But it it is a lot of fun. As was his Ultimate Fantastic Four. I think. I think his run was probably the best run of a very uneven series. Yeah, it's the highlight for me. The end zone arc issues, uh, I think 13 to 18, are just so enjoyable. Uh, kicking the crap out of Niall, constantly taking the mick out of each other. It, it's I, That should be the basis of a Fantastic Four film. Yeah, yeah. instead of this, this has been recorded and actually released long before the, the new Fantastic Four film comes out. But... Mm-hmm. At, to this point, I would say the only good Fantastic Four film to be released is The Incredibles. Yeah, yeah. Can't uh, argue with that. I've watched both of them recently. Yeah, and I've listened to your commentaries from the Fantastic cast recently. But getting back on topic. So the last thing that we like to talk about that we, we haven't really landed on yet is to look over the story and see if there's any deeper meanings or nope. or messages. Nope. 
Nope, did you not hear that thing I said at the start? There are no meanings to this. People stand in the street, they get kicked, they explode. This is true. I, that, that's a large part of it. But um, Warren Ellis may not have put any in on purpose, but I do find it interesting that the only two characters in this, right, actually even the three characters who are completely competent in terms of what they're supposed to be doing are the, the women on Next Wave. Yeah. The captain blunders through things. Machine Man has his moments, but he messes up as often as he does. The only three characters that really look at the situation, assess it quickly, determine a plan of action, and go forward with a successful plan of action are Monica Rambo, Elsa Bloodstone, and to a lesser extent, Boom Boom. Boom Boom just keeps blowing things up until there's nothing left to blow up, which technically is a successful plan because she gets all the right things to blow up, but... Yeah, and it's, there's that's even slightly a, more luck than judgment for some of it. But there, there is one moment I believe it's around issue eight when they're looking at the at what's in front of them and trying to deal with it. And Boom Boom even says she kind of says, "Okay, we've got three. You know, we've got to fight on three fronts. I'll take the one where blowing things up is all we need to do. Yeah, you two handle the ones where thought is required." <laughs> and then she turns around and starts blowing things up. So yeah, she's she's not the strategist, but she recognizes her limitations and does what she can do evaluates the situation well enough to go, I am not suited to solve that problem. I will take care of this problem over here and leave that problem for the others. So I, I did like that. It, it's a bit of a twist because one of the issues that we have with traditional comics, and I think that's a lot of what Warren Ellis is doing with this, is looking at traditional comics compared to modern comics, figuring out what's broken, what has always been broken, what's been recently broken, and trying to show that it doesn't need to be broken this way and just trying to fix it. And this is one of the things we have. If you go back to the 1960s Marvel, there are very few women who are treated the way they would be treated now. Comparing it to the contemporary DC titles, I will say that Stan Lee was one of the least sexist writers of the era. But being least sexist in a sexist area does not mean his work is devoid of sexism. For a lot of excellent examples of that, listen to the Fantastic cast. <laughs> Thank you. And this is one that kind of turns that on its head. There is It's almost the opposite of sexism. We've got the villain Dirk Anger, who you really wonder how he got that job, because he is just not good at it. There are some wonderful moments of him. I think my favourite is when he's trying to commit suicide, because uh, it's one of his things, and he's sitting in a chair atop a giant pistol that has 280-degree twist in the barrel, um, with a big lever connected to the trigger. Yeah, yep, and he's pulling it. It's like Russian roulette with one gun and a massive gun. There's a, another one where he's... You don't only have one gun in Russian roulette. <laughs> yeah. And he, there's also the, uh, well, the, the one where he's trying to hang himself off a chair. And, you know, he completely fails when he's trying to hang himself. And then when he's not trying, things go a little bit differently. But yeah, it's just loaded with, with these sort of tropes. I mean, he it does feel like he's trying to break out of the, the decompressed storytelling. There may be some editorial edicts on it, to sort of keep it in that six-issue format. The story is structured so that every two issues is a complete story, as we've said before. But just the way the issues are formatted, in the Bill Jameis era, Bill Jameis was the one who actually came up with the idea of the recap pages. Or he that's what they credit him with, with the Ultimates. There actually were recap pages in the late 90s, but, you know, psychological defense mechanism. A lot of people forget all everything about comics from the late 90s. You, these recap pages are present in 10 out of 12 issues. Issue 1 wouldn't have it because it's issue 1. You better not need a recap page for issue 1. And it's also missing from issue 7, which seems to break out like that six-issue per-story arc structure. No, it's there. Oh, okay, then... I have the primer page at the start of issue 7. Okay, that page was not reproduced in the Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited version. So, 
I'm mistaken because of the an inaccurate reprint. I'm glad to know it was there because those are those in Cable and Deadpool are the recap pages that I actually read for the sake of the reading the recap pages because they are that entertaining. They were great fun, but yeah, I I think everything about this is from Warren Ellis, and there was an element of he'd done enough that he could go away and do his thing in the corner. It's just that there would have been more of it, I think, if Stuart Immonen hadn't been Stuart Immonen. He'd come over from many years successful working at DC with uh, his work on the various Superman books, had come over, completely changed his art style, and I think his first thing was Ultimate X-Men. And he did Ultimate X-Men, Ultimate Fantastic Four, he did Next Wave, he did Ultimate Spider-Man, and then graduated to the Avengers, where his art style seemed to refine itself slightly. But this kind of very manic, very energetic art that he did across the Ultimate series and this is absolutely fantastic and for a, a long time, probably until he got onto New Avengers, he was my favourite artist in comics, but New Avengers, it, it all just seemed to slow down a little bit because it was a, a Bendis book. Yeah, that is, if Warren Ellis is fighting the decompressed storytelling, Brian Michael Bendis is embracing it to a larger degree. And he embraced it very successfully for a long time with Alias, with Daredevil. Um, yeah, he proved that decompressed storytelling can work You've just got to pack it full of character and have an artist who can make a not a visually static scene look intriguing and worth reading. So any final thoughts on Next Wave aside from if you haven't read it, find it and read it now? If you haven't read it, find it and read it now, fleshy ones. Yeah. Yes, it is highly entertaining. As I said, it is in its entirety on Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited, which is like Netflix for Marvel Comics. So if you're a comic fan, you will probably find it worthwhile. That will actually include a considerable amount of the stories that are showing up in this podcast. I think that's about all we have to say this week. So, Stephen, thanks again for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. All right, and join us again next week when we've got New Mutants 98 as the topic of episode 73. If you'd like to read that beforehand to follow along with us, it has been reprinted in X-Force Magazine number 1 from 1996. It's in Deadpool Classic Volume 1, the trade paperback from 2008. It was reprinted in Wolverine Origins, number 25. It's also available on Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited, and I neglected to check to see if it's in the Comixology store, but I strongly suspect it would be. So yeah, join us for the first appearance of Deadpool.